Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to this word that you would again uh, cause us by your Holy Spirit to be teachable, to be as uh, children uh, longing for another meal and uh, humble as we approach your word. Father, I pray that, that we would uh, allow these words, Father, that these words by your spirit would sink into us and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. <clears throat> So God is concerned about the way we work. God is concerned about the way we work. He's concerned that we be both good employees and good employers. Um, that this passage applies in this way today doesn't take much work. right? I could approach this passage as or we could approach this passage as merely being about first century slavery. We could delve into the intricacies of, of first century slavery and all its particularities. We could then, um, we could then, or I could, it's not a we, I could then simply make this sermon a denunciation of slavery. Um, but I don't think that would profit us very much at all. Um, many modern preachers would preach the text in this way, and it would it'd be a good history lesson. But it would not be good uh, preaching. Um, <clears throat> remember that all Scripture is God-breathed, and therefore is profitable right, for our training in righteousness. Uh, you and me, it's our training in righteousness. We don't need to spend time belaboring the intricacies of, of first century slavery to apply this passage to our own service and employment. Um, Calvin, in his sermon <clears throat> on this passage, spends maybe two or three sermons talking about slavery, and then he just turns to work. Um, he writes, and here, first of all, let us mark the state of masters and servants was not such in those days as it is now. For they had not hired servants who could, who could go away whenever they wanted and be at liberty, but they were slaves, as they used still in some countries. After a man was once bought, it was to be in subjection both to life and death, they could use them sharply and rigorously as they wanted, which cannot be done according to the manners that are among us. And truly, we have cause to thank God that it pleased him to take away such a kind of slavery, which was very cruel. Nevertheless, we must mark well that if it was requisite for those poor slaves 
who were under so hard a yoke, yes, and were like oxen and asses, to serve their masters patiently and with a frank and free heart, much more should those who are this day subject and in better and more gentle state and condition be void of all excuse if they are stubborn and will not bow down their, their, themselves to become obedient. Thus, we must practice this doctrine of St. Paul's. That's all he mentions about slavery, and all he says about it is it was harsh, and it was not voluntary, right? He quickly makes his point that we don't have this kind of slavery, that we, that we have it much better. So how much more should we then obey this passage? And, and so I say, that's right. Yes and amen, right? We have freedom. <clears throat> Think about it. We have freedom to up and leave any work we voluntarily engage ourselves in. But that does not in any way free us up to disregard the authority structure that we find ourselves in in that voluntary order. Um, those who hired you can fire you, right, and, and have authority over you. So let's not wiggle out of the application of this passage by over-applying the, and I'll say it, by over-applying the grammatical historical method of interpretation. This passage, eternally true, is for us and for our situation, both of which God was not ignorant of when it was written. And the Holy Spirit who inspired it was not ignorant of. So with that said, I'm making application of this passage to situations in which you are under authority. Anywhere you find yourself reporting to somebody with more authority and responsibility than yourself. Or where you have authority and responsibility over somebody else. Um, so, desiring to, to honor God and live in, a, in the manner described by Him includes thinking through how we relate to the authorities over us. Particularly in our work our vocations, our means of making money to sustain ourselves. Um, <clears throat> so first, God, God tells us that employees are to honor their bosses. They're to honor them. That's the word it uses, honor. He says of slaves, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of our God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Um, and this command is, is simply an application of what? It's an application of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Right? That's the commandment that deals with submitting to authority. Honor your father and mother. That commandment <clears throat> has application, we know, not simply or not merely to literal fathers and mothers, but it has application to any situation where there's hierarchy, any situation where there's authority. Westminster Larger Catechism teaches us that broad application of the commandment. It says, um, question 124, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? And they answer very quickly, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, our moms and dads, but all superiors, 
in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, in church, or in commonwealth. So in family, in the church, and in the general society. Um, So children, children, children. A quick application of 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2 is that you are to honor your father and your mother. Some of you children have a hard time doing this. For some reason, you think that you are your own authority. Um, That will never, ever be the case. That will never be the case in any situation you are in. God has authority over you everywhere, and he will inevitably place you under authority elsewhere. Right? He's going to place you under authority. He's going to do it at home. He's going to do it at school. He's going to do it as you're a citizen of the United States. He's going to do it as an employee. He's going to do it as you eventually pay taxes. Right? Etc., etc. Will you rebel against authority? Will you rebel against authority? Will you please God? Will you please God by submitting to those authorities that he has graciously given you in your life? Just think if you didn't have mom and dad. Just think about that. You'd be dead. You benefit greatly from your parents, right? Um, will you rebel against that authority? What did, what did Jesus do? It's not a bracelet. It's an actual question, right? Did he submit? Did he honor authorities? Why, he, being God, even obeyed and honored his mother and father, right? After Mary and Joseph find Jesus In the temple, after they lost him in Jerusalem, he's 12 years old. Remember, the text says this, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. Jesus, teaching in the temple at 12, goes home and continues in subjection to them. What does that mean? That he had to do his daily chores. Right? That they told him things to do, and he had to submit. He glorified his father in that way, by honoring his parents. That's the way of godliness. Why is that so hard for many children to do? You want your independence, you want your freedom, you want responsibility, but listen, listen. If you don't learn to exist under authority, you will have very little independence, very little freedom, and you will have no responsibility. Because you won't be trustworthy. Right? You will most likely be punished by every authority you won't submit to. You will only get what you want by submitting yourself to authority, particularly God's authority, which will touch every single area in your life. But what does it mean to honor father and mother? What does it mean to honor father and mother? It means to treat them with respect, to obey their commands, to speak highly of them when you are with your friends, 
right? To not roll your eyes or sigh when they ask you to do something that is only going to take you five seconds to finish anyway, right? It's to say yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and, and when they ask you a question. It's to, it's to go to them for counsel. It's to ask them questions about God and his word. It's to do as they do. Right? It's to do as they do, to love the things that they love, to forgive them. This too, it's to forgive them when they sin against you. It's to receive their forgiveness when they sin against you. Right? Um, it, it's <clears throat> how do you honor father and mother? It's to eat the things they give you for dinner without complaint. Right? It's to say thank you to them for anything, for everything, to be quick to obey. That pleases God. That pleases God. That's what we find out in this passage. That pleases God. What about you who are employed? How many of you have had unbelieving bosses that drove you crazy? That, That it was unbearable in a sense, to uh, work for. That made your work life very difficult. This first verse of chapter 6 applies in that situation particularly. In verse 2, he turns to believing masters. So this verse, the first verse, we, we, uh, it is implied that it speaks to unbelieving masters. We're told to treat unbelieving authorities with all honor. How good are we at doing that? How good are we at doing that? How often have we used the unbelief of our bosses as excuses not to do what they ask of us, not to honor them in any respect? How often have we used the harshness of our bosses as excuses not to do what they want? Um, most Most often, and I'm speaking particularly to millennials now, Your boss hasn't even been harsh, but because he hasn't sufficiently stroked your ego, you find it intolerable, just impossible to work for him or her. This text tells you to honor that ungodly boss, that hard boss. God wants Christians to show deference to authority. When we do, when we, when we, Do not do that. We are breaking his commands. We are thinking too highly of ourselves and ultimately disparaging the example of humility and submission that we have in Jesus Christ himself. He submitted to to spit from the mouths of mere men. He submitted to it and said nothing. Right? He, and, and we think that because our boss hasn't given us praise in a few days, that we are in an impossibly depressing workplace. We complain that we are not being fulfilled, even though the check keeps getting deposited directly every Friday. Um, we're told to honor those in authority over us. Why? Why? The text says, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. When you do not submit to authority, you give unbelievers the impetus 
to speak against God and against the doctrines of Scripture. You know, just think of it. Look at those hypocrites. Look at those hypocrites. They talk all day long about the sovereignty of God. But I can't get them to do anything in my factory without, you know, them dragging six people into their pity party. They talk about submitting their lives to Jesus Christ. Of his humility to serve others. And they are the most discontent workers I have. The reason this is so ridiculous is that we have been told by God that our work is to be done as unto him. It's not even the unbelieving boss that we're serving. We're actually serving God. So in not serving our bosses, we're not serving God. That is precisely why when we reject authority and disregard our bosses, they see what we are unwilling to see. They know we serve God just as they serve whatever motivates them to get up in the morning. And they are devoted to that master from morning to evening. That's why they work. So they know that our work, our willingness to work, reflects on that which or who we claim to serve and claim to honor. Christians who understand the immense debt that has been forgiven us through Christ should have no problem overlooking the sins of others so as to serve them. My boss was short with me. How many times have I been short with others? Right? My boss cussed at me. How many times have I cussed at people? My boss belittled me in front of other employees. How many times have I done the same to those who are under me as employees? Right? My boss expected me to do what was on my job description. How horrible. How many times have I expected people to just live up to a standard? Even if your boss is evil, you are to show him all honor. That's what this is saying. Insofar as we can do so without breaking the commands of God. Now the text moves on from there and addresses how we are to act when those in authority over us are believers, are Christians. When that is the case, we must, it says, we must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Now I've always approached this text in this way. Christian masters will be easier to submit to because they will likely be more gentle, more understanding, more Christian in the way they lead. And perhaps that's true to a certain extent. But this passage is not about how masters are to lead, but about how those under authority are to submit. Right? In other words, the problem lies with us in having to submit. It is likely that we will have the same issues with a Christian or non-Christian boss, right? Because we are going to work for them with our same baggage, our same sinfulness. I'll, um, I'll be impatient whether or not my boss is a Christian or a non-Christian, right? In fact, it may be that because of the commonality of our faith, our equality in Christ we may have a harder time submitting to a Christian. Calvin takes 
the passage in this way. Here's what he says. It's very helpful. Let us mark that when we have found any occasion to lift up ourselves above our neighbors, we shall always fall that way. We shall not need to go to school to learn this lesson. For every man is a scholar and sufficiently enough learned of himself. And there is a shameful thanklessness in this, that I shall see the graces of God in a man, the same in myself also, and therefore I shall say, and how is he better than I am? Is it not the greatest honor that we can have to be God's child? And then, since I am of that number, am I not his brother? And it is said that we, that he who is of low degree in this world has to rejoice in his highness, because God has made him noble and chose him into the number of his children. But may he therefore despise them whom God has advanced above him. So then let us mark well that this title of brotherhood must not make them proud who are condemned in the sight of the world and of low degree. They must not go and say, he is my brother, for God has given him another parentage also. We are brothers, but yet this may not prevent one of us from being a master and the other a servant, the one a father and the other a child, the one in the office of a magistrate and the other in the person of a subject. Every one of us could find his heart to despise those who ought to rule over us under a pretense about our Lord bringing us together. In other words, we are likely to be more prone to despise a Christian boss because we see him as an equal in spiritual terms, and our flesh would, um, would like that to be the case in authority terms. Right? Spiritually, we're equal. That means authoritatively, we're equal. Right? We abuse, this is an abuse of the doctrine of, of the priesthood of all believers. We abuse the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers to be a doctrine of absolute egalitarianism. Right? We become spiritual socialists who believe that, that everyone has the same right to the exact same amount of authority. But God has built hierarchy into his world. He has not removed hierarchy. In fact, think of this. In an economic sense, it is built into the Trinity itself. The Son is always the Son and does the work of the Father. The Father is always the Father and not the Son and does the work of the Father. The Spirit is always the Spirit. And not the Son and not the Father, but does the work of both the Father and the Son. There it is. There's equality and hierarchy. Equality and order simultaneously. Just like the man and the woman are both spiritually inheritors and equal, yet the woman was made for the man and not man for the woman. And the husband is the head of the wife, not the wife the head of the husband. God has put order in his world that reflects the order of his triune being. Equality of essence does not at all mean that there can't be a hierarchy of work. That you have a Christian as a boss does not mean that he can't have authority over you. That he can't hire or fire or reprimand or rebuke you. And that's you can't do that to him. So our temptation may be actually to despise our brethren who have authority over us more 
um, than we, we would an unbeliever. Remember that, remember this, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. And you won't submit to a Christian boss, let alone those uh, everywhere else, let alone those sinful elders and pastors of your church, right? That, that should not be. You, um, <clears throat> You just took this vow last week as members of this church in regard to Camden Spiller, who, let me tell you, is sinful. He is a sinner. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a ruling elder, and do you promise to yield him all that honor? There's that word, all honor. Encouragement and obedience in the Lord to which his office according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him. Right? The need for this vow is because our flesh militates against it in the opposite direction. As Calvin is fond of saying, God could have sent angels to preach, but he's given us men that we may learn to submit and honor men like ourselves who are sinful. That's, that's a paraphrase of what he said. But finally... Finally, there's this. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, teach and preach these principles. Didasco and parakaleo are the two Greek words. There's undoubtedly a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is explaining, right? Preaching is exhorting. Uh, not that preaching doesn't have elements of teaching. It, it will. Whenever we communicate, there's an element of teaching. But the goal of preaching is exhortation, not merely information downloading, right? It's the difference between these two statements. Scripture commends honoring those in authority over you. That's me teaching you. Scripture commends this, this concept of you submitting to authority. And this, you are not honoring those in authority over you. How do I know I listen to you? Could it be that you are proud? that you have despised your father all through the years for his harsh attitude towards you. The difference is absolutely clear, right? And the Christian receives rebuke without going into a rage. You know, um, of course, rebuke raises our hackles for a time, but for a Christian, all rebuke is received as if it comes from God himself. A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. But many of us say, <clears throat> you know, I could receive those rebukes from the pastor if they came from God himself. And you are an example of why 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2 are in Scripture. Right? They are there to remind us to show honor toward men who have authority, and in so doing, we are giving honor to God himself so that his name and his doctrine will not be spoken against.